going to school. I think it was in grade one or two, maybe where we were making father's day cards. And my dad wasn't in my life at all at that point. And I made one just because I was embarrassed and felt shameful that I didn't have a dad to give it to. There wasn't a lot of kids that I knew that were only living with one parent. Like all of my friends had two parents. I think within a superpower, there's there's parts of us that think that it's the thing that we're not great at. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much. I'm also excited to be here this morning. And of course, Michelle is going to share a few nuggets of wisdom with us. But before we really get started, Michelle, do you want to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Michelle Thompson. I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, so I'm a Canadian. Most people tell me I don't have an accent, but maybe you can hear one. Um, and I am a registered nurse. And I also am a leadership uh, development coach and consultant. And I primarily focus on workplace culture and specifically creating psychologically safe workplaces that people never want to leave. Oh, that sounds amazing. And um, I love how you're kind of working in an environment that is high stress, mm-hmm. where you actually want to feel welcome and homey and you want to work. So the registered nurse and the coaching is like a total synergy of, just as my podcast sa- says, it's of the happy healthy hustling, really, where we see this beautiful space where your particular superpower comes in. And now everybody is like, we want to know more about those superpowers. How would you describe your superpower to us, Michelle? That's a really great question. And, you know, I would say that I think within a superpower, there's there's parts of us that think that it's the thing that we're not great at. And, uh, you know, with age comes wisdom. And one of the things that I've always been is a really empathetic person. I have always had a great deal of empathy. Like I feel everything of other people. And of course, that can not be great. It can not be healthy. It can be very tiresome um, and overwhelming. However, I think that over the last maybe four or five years in particular, I've added a lot of other practices into my life that makes me really feel like that gives me kind of a leg up, so to speak, for lack of a better term. It separates me from other people and being able to take away, um, to I guess, to really just show up with empathy and compassion for other people without needing to have there be anything in it for me and to really be able to feel that deeply. And, and for me, because I think I have a background in facilitation and nursing, that nurturing part, I've been told so many times that I am able to very quickly create space and hold space for people where they feel really safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just such a, you know, I don't, I don't feel shy saying that because those are other people's words. Um, but, you know, it is very humbling when people tell you that you can create a container where they feel safe. And that really is the foundation of the work that I'm doing now. So um, it also just makes me realize that I'm right where I need to be. That's amazing. And uh, I love that you say we are learning you know, with time, we're getting more experiences and we kind of tend to fine tune our superpowers more and we tend to learn more about ourselves and how we can use those superpowers as well. So how would you maybe describe a challenge that made you either learn about the superpowers or that made you realize this is something 
I have dealt with in the past, maybe like one big life event that was really a, a struggle or a challenge? Yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate the question because I there's I, I would say that there's like two or three kind of primary things that I think about when I when I think about my life on a timeline, you know, that kind of those points in time that are like those big moments. And I think that for me, the empathy always was always there as a child. I mean, I've always been a really empathetic child. I've kind of was always known as the kid that was the crier. um, And I never really knew why I was so emotional all the time. I just really felt things very deeply. But I always knew that I wanted to be a nurse. And I think at the core of it, there was that sense of nurturing and wanting to help and support other people. But I also grew up as an only child in a single parent family in the 70s. And that was really difficult to grow up at that time. There wasn't a lot of kids that I knew that were um, only living with one parent. Like all of my friends had two parents. And so Uh, I really had to navigate my feelings through that because it was difficult. You know, I remember going to school, I think it was in grade one or two, maybe where we were making father's day cards and my dad wasn't in my life at all at that point. And I made one just because I was embarrassed and felt shameful that I didn't have a dad to give it to. And that I just remember being, you know, really having really deep feelings about that. And my mom doing a great job trying to nurture that through me. And then, you know, going to nursing school, of course, I, you know, felt all the things. (laughs) At first, I wanted to be a pediatric nurse. And then I, I couldn't really manage my emotions in my 20s. And I thought, well, maybe when I get to be 30, I'll be better. And then I realized that was really at a phase where I was sort of seeing that possibly I could become a mother myself. And that became so overwhelming for me to be caring for sick children. And then I just realized that this just wasn't my path in terms of nursing. And so I ultimately ended up going into seniors care and I became a palliative nurse. And, you know, people say to me all the time, well, you're so, you have so many feelings. How could you be with people that are dying every day? And for me, I think it's just the way that you frame the context of situations. Absolutely, I'd have an ugly cry at times at the end of a day where I lost a patient. But I also think that it is an incredible honor to be with another human being when they take their last breath on this earth. And I don't, that's never fallen short on me. I don't think it happens by mistake. Um, And so, you know, that also led me to more recently where I am now, where I was, you know, almost 40 before I got married or I will not, I was after, I was older than 40 when I got married, but I was 40 when I met my husband and uh, we've been together for, you know, almost 13 years now. And, you know, at that point I would sort of been written off by society as I just felt often less value. And that again, brought up these really big emotions um, and not having children. I mean, I do have children. I have two stepchildren who are amazing, but I haven't birthed children. And and the stigma around still, I think women walk through society. If you don't want children or you haven't had children, there's just still this like furrow of the brow and questioning, like, what do you like? What do you mean you don't want kids? Or why don't you have children? Like sort of that. It's like, what's wrong with you? This is what you're supposed to do. Um, and I really, that was really hard to navigate for me as an empathetic person. Well, what I've just, I've really learned through a lot of self-love and self-compassion and uh, integrating a lot of different practices like journaling and some meditation um, and regular exercise is that that has now become my superpower because I can now see those situations with so much more empathy 
for other people in that they're really asking from a place of curiosity, right? I mean, sometimes people can be rude about it. Um, but I think that for the most part, people are just asking because it's a lived experience that's different than their own. And they don't always do it in the best way. And so my job as an empath is to give them a get out of jail free card and to try to help navigate that for them. So um, yeah, that's just, you know, I think that at, like I said, at 52, those difficult journeys have all tied in this sort of empathetic approach for me. That's wonderful. And and I love that you're going all the way back to childhood um, because I sometimes think when I meet the parents of my um, daughter's friends, oh, that's, you know, how she got how those friends got those values yeah. and all oh, that makes more sense because you're seeing the bigger environment that really shapes who you are, your culture, so to speak, how you behave, how you speak, what's important to you, what you maybe have not experienced yourself. So I always think it's so important that we take a step back and we don't just look at a person, but we rather look at all the luggage that they carry with them and all the experiences that makes them who they are. So I love that you're building this and thinking, well, this is really like how I experienced it. And some other people didn't experience it, but that's why I am who I am today. So being an empath really started with you. It sounds like already early in childhood. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I said, I just, I always kind of remember being the one in the family where my cousins always made fun of me because I was an only child, like, oh, there's Michelle, she's off crying again. Mm -hmm. And I really thought like when I was a child, because I, I, because I was an only child, I was very close to my mother. Um, You know, I think that I, I would really think that when I wasn't with my mom, I would get so upset because it'd be like, oh, she's probably so sad that we're not together. And it wasn't about the ego in me. It was really just about caring for her. Like, what is she doing when I'm not there? You know, now as a grown adult, I'm thinking my mom was probably so grateful just to have that time away and to be able to focus on herself. Really as a child, like I would just be so worried, like, is she going to be okay? Is everything okay? And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I, you know, I didn't mention when you asked about difficult things and in terms of the work that I do now, we always hear this, like, find your why. What's your why? Why are you doing the work you're doing? And I didn't know my why when I went into business. And I mentioned this just because I think it's really important for people when they're transitioning. I transitioned fairly late in life, like in terms of when I started my business. I didn't start it until 2018. So I was well into my 40s. And I was really happy being a nurse. And I identified myself as being a nurse. I didn't identify as being anything other than that. But I was approached by a group of physicians who asked if I could create some curriculum and then deliver curriculum for them. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. I had never done it before. My husband, who's a, who is an entrepreneur, said, you need to start a business. And I said, I'm not starting a business for one client. That's ridiculous. Do you know how much work it is? He said, yes, I do. And you're starting a business. And I'm grateful that he pushed me to do that because I think otherwise I would have only just seen that as this is a one-time thing. I don't know if I want to do this. But I started developing this curriculum and delivering it, which is what I always thought I would want to do in a coaching and consulting business. And while I love that client and I love to facilitate and I love to create curriculum, I quickly realized this is not what I wanted to do full time. And so I had to figure out like, well, why do I want to do this? 
And it brought me back to a story that happened in my early 30s when I was just developing my leadership career. And I got my first, you know, kind of senior leadership role. I was running a long-term care home and I uh, moved across country for this job. And I quickly discovered in about two or three months from starting this job that these added the attitudes of the staff working there were really starting to shift very quickly. They were shifting and I couldn't figure out what was happening because I was doing all the things that everybody at the time told me to do as a leader. I was trying to engage people and to have them be, you know, have them see the bigger picture. I was trying to have pizza parties and all the things that, you know, people told me to do and nothing seemed to be working until I arrived to work one day. And I was told that there was a bunch of licensing inspectors that were coming to our home, which isn't unusual in Canada because often they will come just to make sure that you're doing what you say you're doing. Well, these inspectors weren't coming for that reason. They were coming because someone had made a complaint that I had asked them to cover up the death of a resident, Mm. which was not true, but they didn't know that. And so I literally felt the blood drain from my body because I thought, what if everybody thinks this is true? What if my employer fires me? I moved all the way out to here to take this job and I've only been here a couple of months. They thought the building was running well and now things seem to be falling apart. And I had to get through two days of a rigorous inspection to be told that, in fact, there was no evidence to verify that this was true. And when the person who made the allegation was asked, she said, well, we just all thought that if we could get her fired, like we like her, but we just thought if we could get her fired, things would go back to the way they were. And I really just realized in that moment that I was set up for failure, but not intentionally because I was hired to do the core components of my job, the clinical pieces, but I had no idea how to lead people. And that this was really just a learned behavior to cope because I then learned that I was like the sixth GM of six in like seven years. So this was just a learned behavior. And that really started me on my journey of leadership because I had two choices. I could either quit and go find another job, knowing that there was a very high likelihood that I was going to end up in another toxic healthcare environment, because unfortunately it's pretty prevalent in healthcare, or I could be a stubborn Leo like I am and dig my heels in and try to figure it out, which is the latter of the two. But again, I had the foresight once I was able to let my ego get out of the way and and say, why would these people do this to me when all I was trying to do is create space is to let the empathy come out and say, because this was a learned behavior. Mm -hmm. And so it gave me the ability then to sit down and talk one-on-one with these people and to try to come up with a solution to a problem. So I mentioned that because that was one of the hardest things I've gone through professionally, but certainly, and it's shaped my professional career I just don't wouldn't say that it's necessarily shaped who I am as a person. So in a certain way, being in a leadership role sometimes teaches you, especially when there are situations like that, what you need to learn to become an even better leader. So it's like nearly like this hands-on learning that that happens where you realize afterwards, well, those are some skills I maybe need to polish up on. And those are some skills that would prevent these future situations. So sometimes I look at failures as something that's just your own unique way of getting where you need to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I think that sometimes we focus on 
you know, if I just, if I acquire this attribute, I'll be a phenomenal leader. And there's all the books. And I know, you know, you've got books and I love books. And I know some of your past guests have listed books and I've written those books down to add to my Amazon book wish list. Um, But, you know, I think that it's, it, for me, it was exactly that. It was like, I wasn't leading authentically. I was leading the way people told me who had kind of walked that path before, which was very helpful. And it was very helpful to have mentors, but I needed to figure out how to, how to lead in a way that felt me. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to do that and figure out how people are hardwired to connect and what drives human connection, it's about building trust and making people feel safe. People who don't feel safe, don't behave well. And once I was able to make those connections and really come from a place of like, oh, this is just really understanding human behavior more than it is developing an attribute to become a phenomenal leader. I was able to realize, A, leadership is not as complicated as people have made it out to be. And it's really an inside job. How would you describe an influence or influencer that led you down this path of learning? Is there like one person book thing that has been your biggest influence? Yeah, you know, I, well... I always like to answer these questions like what's the first thing that came into your mind because I think often that's really the 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 truest one. And so of course it's my mom. My mom comes first to mind. And and so many people have told me over the years, "Oh, you're just like your mother." And of course when you're 15 and 16 years old, that's like and you get the proverbial eye roll. It's like, "Great, I'm just like my mom." And now I'm like that's the greatest compliment you could give me. Does my mom drive me crazy at 52 when she visits, you know, over the winter? Absolutely. However, I can also appreciate that she raised a child on her own, worked a full-time job. And we, I grew up incredibly poor and I never knew it. My mom had an immaculate pride of home and bought the best furniture that she could afford and then treated it like gold. And in fact, has almost all of it now. And it looks exactly like it did as I remember it as a child. Um, You know, I just, we, I never felt poor. We, we, we used to get Christmas hampers and I just thought Santa brought those for every kid. I think I was probably eight or nine before I realized that we got them because we were a low income family. Um, so, you know, I would say to her, not for protecting me from that or making me feel less than, but for making me realize that poor is really a mindset in terms of the big picture. Like when you feel like you're rich, you are rich. And there was, I was rich in other things, She was incredibly strict, which again, growing up as a kid was awful because I had friends who had parents that were far less strict and they got to do all the fun things I didn't get to do. And again, I really, I'm grateful for my mom for that because I think it kept me on the straight and narrow to a certain extent. And um, I could have gotten into trouble in, in where we were living there. And, and I know that was probably now, you know, what she was thinking. But I also come from a long lineage of amazing women. My mother's mother uh, lost, my mom lost her dad when she was 16. So my grandmother never remarried for her. It was really till death do us part. And she walked through life with grace and fun. And she looked just like Lucille Ball with flaming red hair and, um, you know, always had a bingo tapper in her hand and her purse on her shoulder and was just a a ball of energy. Um, She's one of 14. So her mother, you know, birthed 14 children, I think in 17 years. 
Like I just come from a long side of, of really strong, amazing women. My mom's the baby of three girls and her two sisters have also, you know, been really strong women and raised families. So I think that from a family perspective, it would be those women, you know, if it, if I were to pick anyone else other than, you know, my husband and my stepchildren, a non-human would probably be my dog. Um, he's a, he was a, he's a Taiwanese street dog and we, Rescued him in 2015, thinking we were getting a sweet little puppy because that's the way he presented when we went to go see him with about 21 other dogs that he was rescued from uh, slaughter. And he already knew how to sit and he looked so playful and we got him home and he was mourning his pack. And I understand that's what happens sometimes when you rescue puppies or dogs is that they're used to being in a pack. And then when you bring them home on their own, they struggle. So we got a second dog and they were probably two of the most fearful, anxious, ridden dogs ever that we've spent thousands of dollars in therapy and in training. And it, it's an ongoing saga. It it really has been challenging and stressful and funny and I've cried over it. Um, but on my podcast, I also did a, an episode about him. He has taught me so much about what it's like to trust and love unconditionally, to have me be his person, to know that I'm never going to put him in a situation that he can't handle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really just this beautiful dance that I've learned to play with him and understand him. And I truly feel we're his people. And um, it's just really an honor that I get to be his mom. Like I I, our vet has said, if anyone else would have got him, he probably would be put down by now, or he wouldn't have been rehomed because he's just, he's such a good dog, but he's just so, um, he's just a ball of anxiousness. And if you don't have the patience for it, it can just become, I think, really overwhelming for people. I like how you're tying in, you have the strong women, um, you have your dog. Um, there are sometimes really unexpected influencers in our life. That when you think, why am I who I am? And you take a step back and you start to appreciate everything that's around you. It's sometimes the simplest things right there, your family, your pets. And that's really something I love how grateful you are for that. And I'm really curious now about this episode on your podcast. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, share with us, how can we find that episode or how could we get in touch with you, please? Yeah, so the best, probably the best place to to reach me is just on my website, Curis with a C, so C-U-R-I-S Consulting, and it's .ca because I'm in Canada. Um, and then my podcast is anywhere where you find your podcast, and it's called Lead From Within. So I think it was one of the first episodes that I did. So, um, and I believe it's it it says um, what my dog has taught me about becoming a better leader. I think is the title of it. So you'll be able to find it there. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michelle. I absolutely loved hearing um, your story, how you became a happy, healthy hustler. I hope you have a fabulous day. Until next time. 